Matthias, let's just take a second to talk about our Patreon channel. Obviously, a lot of people love the show, and we get a lot of messages from people asking us how to uh, support us and help us grow the podcast. Now, Patreon is obviously, without doubt, the best way to do it. It really helps us grow the show, helps us pay people who help us out, helps us you know, keep shining the job, the, the editor behind the scenes. Um, why do you, want to, do you want to just let people know what they get, some of the perks? Yeah, I mean, we offer so many interesting extra things for Patreons. So we, we have a bonus episode, um, we do Q&As, and we're also looking into other ways of like getting um, our Patreon supporters special access to some of my um, very deep and fantastic knowledge and such things. Yeah, you're wanting to introduce some, uh, not one-on-one, but small small group lectures on specific subjects, which I think would be amazing. Patrons would absolutely love that. I would absolutely love that. You know, half an hour topic of you just ranting without me interrupting on a subject <laughs> has to be has to be perfect. You know, who's not going to, to love that? Yeah, yeah. Like things, you know, we talk about on the podcast, maybe like we mentioned something about Viking ships or something that has to do with the mythology and, and people want to know more about that. And then we can like dig deep into that for like 30 minutes in a, in, in a short lecture. I think a lot of people would find that very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget anybody who signs up to the Patreon at any level is going to get a bonus episode every week. Um, it's either going to be the story time episode that we do with Jonas Lorenzen which you have to agree with is, is one of the funniest times you must have all week. It is brilliant. He does. It is amazing. Good job. <laughs> I love yeah. it. <laughs> it is. And then the other, the other episode, we're still undecided hundred percent on what it, it's going to be, but it looks like it's going to be a conversational type episode where me and Mateus just get a little bit more personal about ourselves, but also we're going to get, let people have the chance to ask questions, Q and a, whether it's about the podcast or about us. And um, you're going to be able to put your question to us through Patreon then we're going to have a, a little bonus episode where we explore those and people get a little bit more interactive with those, which I think would be fun for the, for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I feel like I'm seeing with our audience is that they really like to be interactive with us. So we're trying to offer as many opportunities on our platform to do that outside of social media otherwise because that, that can get a little little much sometimes <laughs> yeah there we go i mean honestly if you just jump over to uh patreon forward slash naughty mythology podcast you can have a look at all the different tiers we've got there they start from five dollars up to twenty dollars and you can cancel at any point you can try it out for a month listen to the old episodes listen to the old story time episodes cancel if you don't enjoy it and and there we go, but we were more than sure confident that you'll uh, you'll like what you hear. Welcome to the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Ons. Aunt, horns of Odin, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Fuck me, I may as well start. I will need to go on with this one. <laughs> I like this little part. <laughs> yeah. Aunt. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I could restart, but I don't even want it because it just thumbs up how this episode's probably gonna go. So yes. unfortunately, let's you know, <laughs> let's just carry on with it. But isn't it also like <laughs> true to your um, 
sort of like your dialect anyway to just ditch the h so. i mean it is yeah that, that, <laughs> that's true so okay we had um we did have a guest booked in for for today but unfortunately they didn't turn up maybe we misscheduled i don't know we don't know what's happened at the minute but we you know we're going to record an episode we've been wanting to do for a while and um, which is look at some of the the lesser gods from snorri's edda which is gonna yes. be fun some of the because i guess they're overlooked a lot of the time well i mean they're they so the lesser gods it's 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 funny because um you you get kind of the sense that they were more important and you also we also know a little bit that they were more important than than what Snarri gives some credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we probably should also assume that they had entirely different roles than what Snarri Sturdus says they have. Oh, like, how do we know who's who's a lesser god and who's uh, a big well, a big god? Because I just for for example, I think we probably should start with this now. Now I thought of it. Um, obviously, Tia is a god that everybody knows of. Um, plays like a big role in the Binding of Fenris story. But I am I right in thinking he's not mentioned very much at all? He's, he's, he's hardly there outside of that story, um, which is pretty weird. Um, mm-hmm. He does show up in Kimia's poem as well, where he's, uh, for some weird reason, the travel companion of Thor. Um, and in that poem, um, so the, the weird thing is that it's that Tia is all of a sudden the guy who goes with him. Usually it's Loki, usually mm-hmm. or or this uh, helper, maybe human uh, named Thialdi, mm-hmm. uh, who could actually be the same as Loki, but that's a that's a different story. Like Thialdi is another what, what we could call a lesser god, too, sort of like a forgotten one or whatever. But the thing is, so when we when we say lesser god, what we should really clarify is that the the, the the gods that we have stories about are very few, right? We have Odin, we have Thor, we have Freyr, and that's really it. Like, there's not a lot of other gods that are featured in sort of like grand narratives of various kinds, stories about going out and beating a giant or doing something else. Like Loki, of course, also shows up here and there, but it's mostly just Thor and Odin anyway, which, you know, if you know anything about mythology, it should tell you that there is something fishy going on. Like it is kind of fishy that we only have stories about these two dudes, right? There should be stories about Utlur. There should be more stories about Tyr. There should be... Stories about Loki that are more independent. There should be stories about Baldur, um, stories about Hermulder and so on, on on their own terms. So um, is it more that the, these gods, because obviously everybody will have heard of Baldur, Loki, Tyr, mm-hmm. but is it, is it more that they're just appearing as side characters within somebody else's story, I guess? more or less like so or side characters within sort of like a greater narrative right like it when you read this you constantly have the the idea that there is like snurry knows more than he's telling us okay this icelandic fucker sitting there in the 1200s knows more than he's telling us now why Mm -hmm. the hell is he not giving us the whole the whole part that's that's the thing and so 
what we can see is, for instance, like the story about Boulder uh, and his death, right? That is an old story. We have images from the 400s of, of the like scenes that seem to depict the death of Boulder. Mm-hmm. Then we have um, two versions of that story. We have one in Saxo's Gesta Danorum, the history of the Danes, where Boulder is a douchebag trying to steal Herder's uh, lady and then starts a war about it. And it's an entirely different story than the one that we know from Snorizetta. Because in mm-hmm. Snorizetta, it's, it's like Boulder has like these ominous dreams and Frigg tries to protect him from dying. And then we have the whole story that we know with the mistletoe and all that stuff. Yeah. And that snowballs into Ragnarok. Like yes. literally the boldest death is like the reason Ragnarok comes. Mm-hmm. That's Snurri's choice to put that story in there. Because you saw just before that Saxo, this Danish dude who's writing just a couple of decades before Snurri, he had another choice or, that he made with that story, right? And he made an entirely different story out of it too, which tells us that either there are two different traditions in Scandinavia, one one that is like perhaps like an east south, southeast Scandinavian version, and one that's a western Scandinavian version of the story of Baldur's death, or that Saxo just decided that he would tell us an entirely different story about how Baldur died, right? And then of course we we know that there was the quote unquote original, right? The one that some very pagan uh, Germanic pro- proto Scandinavian, whatever you want to call them put on a gold medallion, right? He wanted to depict the death of Boulder. And so he, he, he had some, he did this very, we should find that Grattier and, and, and put a link to it uh, in, in a show notes because it's really funky. It's a, the whole sort of like, like, it's very obviously a scene where somebody is, is, is dying uh, or being killed uh, by either the a branch or a um, like an a, a antler from a stag or something like that. Like it, it could be interpreted in different ways. And both these ideas are present in Sturgeon's Etta, right? It's like they've survived from, from that time period all the way mm-hmm. into the material that's being written down in Iceland. So we know that this is more significant um, and we know that these are stories that, that have been circulating, right? But we also know, if we apply just a little bit of logic to it, the whole thing, that, that the role of that story can't be that, oh, Baldur's death is going to then sort of like kickstart the demise of, of, of the power of these gods. And they're all going to, like their entire world is going to crumble in Ragnarok. And then... Uh, we're going to have Christianity. That's not how they were thinking about things in the 400s. They hardly didn't care about Christianity <laughs> at that point. Right? So, so something else going on. So, so what if what if uh, Snorri's just the the George R. R. Martin of the thousands, and he's just kind of collected all these little stories and put them together into his own narrative, and just gone, here's my here's my little fiction story. This picked little bits from here, there, and everywhere. But now we read it or people today read it and go okay this is exactly how they thought that is exactly what he was he was the george rr R. martin of the medieval period uh he 
he put stuff together in the way that it was most meaningful to him. And when, when you say that, anybody should know that as a Christian guy, the, the most meaningful way that he could handle uh, pre-Christian material like this, stories about non-Christian gods and all that stuff, is in a way that has them fated to die, has them fated to go into oblivion and all that stuff, right? That was, that he's, he's perfectly honest about that too. Like he says that in his mm -hmm. story. So, so it should, it shouldn't be a, a, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And those people out there who are like, oh, he was a secret pagan or something like that. Well, read his fucking book. He definitely wasn't. <laughs> he's telling you the opposite. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about lesser gods, right? Um, a, a god like Baldur, his role in the mythology, if, if you look at it in terms of like this amount of stories, how many of these stories does he pop up in? It's actually quite minimal. But the role in, that he has in the mythology in the way that it is presented by this Christian guy in the 1200s is pretty uh, immense, right? Because he is sort of like the thing that tips the scales towards the doom of the gods, right? So that that's a pretty significant role, really. Okay. So when we so when we're talking about lesser gods, it's we're not necessarily talking about their importance at the time. It's more that they're just not mentioned that much because we don't actually know what their importance at the time could have been. I mean, so if we look at it in this way, if you have a depiction that can be like from pre-Christian times in Scandinavia that can be correlated with a myth that was written down later on, then you can be pretty sure that that myth was important, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have a lot of images from pre-Christian Scandinavia in the Viking Age or before where we can just safely say, oh, this is a depiction of this particular story that was written down later on. That happens only in rare, uh, on rare occasions. So, so yeah, in that sense, we may assume, for instance, that the story about Baldur's death is actually really important. And adding to this, we have a lot of pictures too, uh, images, whatever you want to call it, from this time period that we can't really associate that closely with what's going on in the mythology. And so that tells us that there's a whole repertoire of stories out there that we don't really have any access to because they, they only show up as like this particular image right here or you know in a reference in an image right so mm -hmm. that's also it's, a problem that we're dealing it, with it's so sad how much we we don't have or we don't yes. know <laughs> or maybe or even just down to like how much he kept because he didn't want to he wanted to paint his own narrative and just didn't want to put it in there because he didn't suit yeah. his telling and it's so, you know what? so disappointing but on the other hand we, we also have to give this guy credit because on the other hand he's actually recording material that we can see that some of the compilers of the edit poetry they decided shouldn't go in there like he is referring to a, a, a poem about Heimdallr that we don't have anywhere else like and it's it's not quoted or anything but mm -hmm. he's just referring to it giving us hints about what was in it Right? So that's a poem that he knew that existed out there. Yeah. And probably most people who were you know, educated knew about, right? That he just decided not to put in there, but he's referring to it. 
And those, those people who then collected the Eric poems, they were like, ah, no, let's, let's not put this one in there. And mm -hmm. the gods only know what, what, what was in that poem, right? And that's the same with other poetry and, you know, other stories in general. There's like hints about, oh, there was this story and there was that story and so on that just weren't told in the material that we have. So that's mm -hmm. just like sad. It feels like such bittersweet because obviously we have to, we have to be so grateful for what he did write down and um, so much we know from what he wrote down, but then also be a little bit angry that it was obviously from a, a Christian perspective and he left so much out that we would like to know. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit frustrating on all sides. You have to be thankful, but also critical. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the most important thing is to keep your wits about you when you're reading this stuff. And that's really the big problem. A lot of scholars haven't over the centuries that's the big, biggest problem with all of this. This is why we got these weird-ass stories about Vikings on mushrooms mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. That's because <laughs> like the level of imagination for some of these scholars was way too high when they were w working with this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like, really? Is it like... like uh, do you really think that, that Vikings, they they thought that the world or the cosmos or whatever they were thinking about here was like separated into like nine realms of elves over here. And it was like Lord of the Rings over there and all that stuff. No, of course not. Like they, they lived in a pretty normal world. Yeah. You know, where they were like, yeah, um, that rock is possessed and uh, you, you can get dwarves in your head. Like that's the kind of stuff that they were living with. I mean, more than anything else yeah, it sounds all right yeah i think we have to it, it most people at the time weren't reading with the foresight of reading writing with the foresight that two guys in the future are going to be sat on these magic screens the other side of the world talking to each other so however we interpret it, we have to like take it as that they're probably writing this very much at the time with a a narrative or an agenda that they want to sue in the moment. Um, not for us. I, I imagine some stuff was maybe recorded with like preservation, purely very innocent preservation of history, but I imagine it's very few. I bet this, most mm -hmm. of it has some inclination of kind of leading people one way or the other. Um, and then you have to read between the I mean lines. I'd say, honestly, I think the, the collection of Eric poetry that you find in Codex Regius is probably recorded out of more or less pure antiquarian interest. Like the person who wrote that down was probably interested in maybe using the poetry for, for entertainment and, and performance, uh, but primarily, I think, actually uh, wrote it down because it's like, well, these are nice um in poems to have uh, they're about ancient stuff and and that's that's fascinating like because there doesn't seem to be a big agenda in in mm. this uh in this text if you ask me okay um so and ignore, ignore what i just said then <laughs> i'm kidding because, no honestly it, 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 what we're also seeing is that the person or persons because there could have been uh, one more, I think, involved in it. Um, like they, they were 
aware of Snorri Sturluson's text when they were recording the Eddic poems. Like they, we can see that the way that they're organizing the Eddic poems, like the, the, the way that they follow each other and that kind of stuff, kind of follows the trajectory of Snorri's Edda. And there are also little prose commentaries that have been added here and there that shows that the person who's writing that text is aware of Snorri Sturluson's text. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could actually perhaps even thank Snorri Sturluson for what he wrote. Even though oh, I don't know how to fucking feel about Snorri. I'm, <laughs> I'm one way or the other. You're spinning me around fucking every I, um, week. I feel like I'm, yeah, I like I him. Mean, I don't like him. He's, <laughs> I, uh, I think it's, it, you know, it's very important to, to not, not just judge um, people from the past, you know, um, mm-hmm. based on contemporary standards, because we don't know exactly what went through their heads and why they did the things that they did and so on but you know mm. we can just say that now it's like it would have been great if you'd done something different dude but yeah. in that moment you know, okay right okay so i'm gonna use my copy of of snorri's edda and i'm gonna throw some names at you and let's just fire through some and see what see what we know about them um <clears throat> First one, obviously, I know this is a name of Thor, but why Oku Thor? I just, I was just scanning and I saw that pop up, and I never, I've never heard it before. So it's like O K U hyphen Thor. Is there a <laughs> reason for it? Um, yeah, so Oku Thor means um, something like travel of Thor. Okay, so that's just when he's with his goats. If I remember correctly, actually, Snorri somewhere says that uh, it is because he rides his wagon or something like that. But, but I mean, it is mentioned af- right after he mentions his the two goats um, and, and his chariot. Yeah, he drives in, uh, and the goats draw the chariot from from this. He is known as Okuthor. So that kind of feels like he gets a different name when he's in a different mode, which seems. Odd, like when he's when he's riding his chariot, then he's Okuthor, which seems odd. But is that something we yeah. see more often? Um, no. So I mean, this is Snorri who who gives him all of these like um, epithets, like Ausathor and Urkuthor and so mm. on. Um, that doesn't happen much in the poetry. Okay, um, we. Of course, what we do know is that um, several of the gods could be referred to by different names. Another name for Thor is Hlori, for instance. So it's like he has an entirely different name too. Yeah, it uh, just seems it seems odd that it's not like it's not a separate name. It's like his name, but with like this little bit attached on him when he's in this flying mode almost. It's yeah, seems a bit different, I guess. But. Uh, but so, so there's also another thing that, that's kind of interesting to consider here when, when we're talking about names that have something to do with Thor. There's a lot of Icelandic, in particular, names, but also you, you get, get them in the mainland Scandinavia. But, but the Icelanders, you can see, seem to have been very interested in using Thor names. So you get okay. like, you know, Thorstein, Thorbjörn, um, Thor this, Thor that, and so on, right? There's a lot of those 
in the, uh, the, the Icelandic sagas, for instance. Um, and, and it's a little unclear to me what is going on, but what we see is that, you know, there's like, there's like a tendency to use the Thor name a lot in the Icelandic material in particular. Mm-hmm. So okay. I don't know if this has some kind of like weird reference to that is, or it's some kind of like naming conventions and so on that existed in medieval Iceland. That's, that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I mean, it's also kind of weird, you know, to just have like a Ausa Thor. It's like, why, why is he called God Thor? What is, what is the reference? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's, like, it's almost like the, the transforming into uh, a different version. It like is. So one, one uh, explanation for this could be the, the fact that Snurri is like working with these different levels of Aesir, right? He's got the Trojans, like those who descend from the the Ausiamanna, mm-hmm. which is essentially the people from Asia, that he says are the same as the Aesir, that are not really gods, but we think they're gods because our ancestors uh, fucked it all up. You know, like he's he's trying to get around all of this. So maybe um, it's uh, maybe it's like a way of trying to humanize them, but then saying, well, whilst he's flying on these with these two goats pulling his chariot. He's in like God mode. Probably, so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's yeah. Maybe it's something like that. Like he's just trying to justify this ability of them to to do supernatural things whilst also trying to make them human. I don't know. Uh all right. What about Niord? Let's Yeah. So what do we get with Niord? I feel like that's one that most people have heard of. Um, but what do we actually know to be true? So um, here in chapter 23, um, he tells us a little bit about Njörður and Skali, right? Mm-hmm. He tells us that um, there's this, uh, this aus, by the way. He's, he doesn't call him a van. He calls him an aus, whose name is Njörður, and he lives in heaven um, um, in that part that's called Noatu. Um, which means shipyard. And then he goes on to say he rules the uh, winds and can also calm the uh, seas and fire. And this is like this is sort of like a standard thing. It's like he he says this about um, or we see the same thing claimed about Odin in saga so this is more sort of like a christian representation of pre-christian deities more than it's like something that's true about these pre-christian deities that people actually believe if you get what i'm saying here mm-hmm. like this is sort of like a standard thing that they would say about them um and you know you can uh pray to him for seafaring and fishing and um that kind of stuff he gives us sort of like a little rundown of um how he is a also a god of like riches and and so on 
Um, so I guess I guess most people know him as like the head of the Vanier. Like that, that's like the story that the most people, when they've heard of him, will have like he's the head of the Vanier when they had the war, they split, mm-hmm. they swapped slaves or captives. Um, and like mm-hmm. he's a big part of that. So, how much that's, is, that's what you is, get from Inglina Saga, which is a different story than this one, right? Because what he says here is that, um, um, he says, Nyoder is not of. Like he just called him an ouse, right? He said, just said he was part of the Aesir. Then he goes, but he's not from the Aesir, right? And then he, is, uh, he tells us that he was uh, uh, raised in Vanaheim, um, and Vanir uh, then gave him to the gods uh, as a hostage, um, and they then sent uh, Hainia. The, the Aesir then sent Hainia to uh, Vani. Um, and and that's that's really that. Like that that's all we, we are told about this like hostage exchange. Then in Inglinga saga, the uh, preface to the um, uh, Norwegian kings sagas, right? We're told that this was in context of the war uh, between the Vanir uh, and the Aesir, which in that story are, is set in Russia. Just FYI, it's not like a <laughs> mythological thing. In that version of the mythology, it's uh, it's something that happened on Earth, right? Okay. And then, then we're told uh, afterwards that uh, he... Uh, he has the, this uh, wife whose name is Skadi, and she's the daughter of Fiatsi, who's a giant. And um, then he tells us this little thing about how they got married and uh, then didn't want to live in each other's places. Yeah, they couldn't fall asleep because the bulls were howling all the time in Trimheimer. And then they tried Noah to instead, and she couldn't fall asleep there because the, the seagulls uh, were screeching all the time. And so, so now they live apart, right? Okay. Uh, and this this is, again, here we're then given a little bit of poetry from a poem that must have been much longer, right? This is really, really interesting. Again, we're lacking some source material because Snurry only partially quoted it. So now, he's just taking kind of what he wants. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Saxo, the Danish historian that I mentioned before, he records the same story, just not in context of Njörda and Skadi, but in context of Hatting and um, and his wife um, and how they have this, this little poetry battle about their preferences for either the inland or the sea, right? And Saxo puts it all in context of uh, being a Viking, right? Which mm-hmm. he sees as a negative thing. Like, uh, to Saxo, Hatting as a king is, is primitive because he uh, prefers the life as a Viking instead of like mm-hmm. settling down and, and, and being, being a king who who rules his realm. But he's also accepting of it because he thinks that it's necessary to build up 
the monastic and royal power of, of the, uh, the country that he is now living in in the 1200s as, you know, a suck up to the Danish king. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a sort of like a double-edged uh, kind of um, approach he has to the whole thing. But anyway, that's um, that's that's what we're told about Nyadar. Okay. Um, so, then I mean, I'm just scanning through and kind of picking out as I see. I do want to mention that when he gets to Tia, obviously he mentions that we mentioned we talked about Tia a little bit the, earlier. He mentions that he is. He is the bravest and most valiant and has great power over victory in battles. So, he, I mean, he, he quite clearly gives him a lot of credit. And, and that sounds like he would be a major part of the, the kind of upper echelon of, of gods. But like we, you said earlier, he doesn't really appear that much. And I think mm-hmm. that's quite interesting how, how he is. I mean, there's not many things I'd prefer to be called than the bravest, the most valiant, and having kind of the most prowess in victory over battles, that feels like a lot. <laughs> what more do you want? Right? No, so so Tyr is a curious figure, right? Because as I mentioned before in this podcast, he uh, has a bunch of place names dedicated to him, presumably. Some of them could actually just be a reference, a reference to because like his his name means something akin to the way that we use the word God today. Um, it is okay. related to Deus in Latin, means God. Um, it is related to Zeus in Greek, you know, which is the head god of the Greek pantheon. So like the original Tyr or Tiwas was probably a very powerful, important god. But his mythology is very nebulous. He's got a bunch of place names dedicated to him, probably, in the Danish area, but hardly anywhere outside of the Danish area. So there's like one location in Western Norway where there's a Tisnes, so Tis headland. But that's it. Outside of, of that, there's it's it's all just like in Denmark in the Danish area, which is curious. Yeah, you don't get, and and we're talking on nearly forty place names with that tier name in it, right? So that's a lot of place names dedicated to that single god in a very small concentrated area. Um, what else do we know from like the um, uh, the early? Um, um, is like source material on uh, on all of this. Um, well, we can see that the early Germanic tribes in, that were, you know, involved in one way or another, hang out with the Romans, going uh, for uh, you know going as mercenaries and such too. The Roman Empire, we can see that they they seem to have been worshiping a god that could have been Tyr. Um, we have these inscriptions at Hadrian's Wall, and also I think in in the Netherland region, um, dedicated to Mars, Mars Tinkso and Mars Halamardus, right? 
Now, Mars Tinkso seems to be sort of like a Latinized uh, um, word, uh, Latini Latinized version of the word uh, thing, which is the General Assembly. So there's like Mars of General Assembly and Mars Halamardus. Halamardus is a Germanic word, very Germanic word. And that seems to mean Mars, the murderer of men. So like two different roles. Oh, that's what, that's what I, my title wants to be. That's <laughs> what I'd want. I mean, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> so, so what so what we what we have there is like two versions of a mars god and the reason that they're calling him mars is because they're you know germanic mercenaries in the roman army um so it is possible that there was like this Tiwas god who was like a very powerful war god and maybe also like a ruler god of some kind and that's definitely not what he is in Snurder Sturluson's Etta, though, or the Eric poetry that we get um, later on. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Or at the same time. Like, there, he sort of lost his glory. Um, and it's basically just a chew toy for the Fenris wolf. That's how he will always be remembered. <laughs> that's, his, that's his claim to fame. Um, okay, Braggy. Braggy, however you want to I'm sure I'm pronouncing it awfully. I, I just want to say something about when it comes to uh, this with place names. Um, I see Monica is uh, asking about Turifjorden in, in Norway. And no, most of these place names that people popularly assume are associated with the gods are either some dude named Thord or some dude named Turi. And they're not, they're not the, the same names as, uh, as the gods' names. So like for instance, in, in, in Denmark, we also have a old dialect word that looks almost exactly like Thor, uh, but means shit. And so there's like a bunch of shit lakes, for instance, and that kind of stuff that are uh, uh, interpreted as uh, in, in popular etymology as, as Thor names. So that, that's, that's one of the, the sort of like the problems of language development. <laughs> Ah, there we go. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Braggy, Braggy, over. Braggy. Yes, that's how I said it. Pretend that that's how I said it. Yes. Um. I mean, no, no. There, there's probably going to be a bunch of Scandinavians out there being getting pissed off because I pronounce it in this way because it's like, uh, some bastardized Icelandic. Uh. Okay. So that guy. Well, he uh, has a footnote, right? So there's like there's one dude named Brahe, that's not he, right? And um, uh, he is uh, very smart and good with words, <laughs> right? And he is best at doing skaldic poetry, is what he's saying. And um, uh, um, and people who uh, are very good uh, skulls are called Brager uh, uh, because of him. Um, and, um, and yeah, that's, that's really what we're being told. And we're being told that his wife is Eden, um, and she hangs out with these apples that uh, the gods uh, bite off 
so that they will never grow old um, and just stay young forever until Ragnarok. And again, this is like, hmm, Snorri, um, are you telling us that their immortality isn't actual immortal at all? Um, and why are you telling us that? Well, hmm, it's probably because you're a Christian, right? Yeah, trying to humanize. Yep. They're just, they're just humans, but with these magic apples. With the magic apples, that's, yes. That's why they're gods. It's not yes, because they're exactly. actually gods. Oh, that's, that's, why, that's why our ancestors believed they were gods. Okay, right? yeah. Yes. So, so that's um, um, that's really all he tells us about Brian, right? And then he shows up in other uh, stories. He shows up um, in in some of the poetry uh, where he's uh, he's he's got like a side character kind of role, and 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 that's really that. Um, some scholars have theorized that Brian um, is actually one of an early scout an early court poet in, in Viking Age Iceland who has been deified at some point. And that's possible. It's also possible that this is like a very isolated Icelandic thing. Um, like Brahe Bottason, I think he, I can't remember his, uh, his story exactly if he was Icelandic or he was originally Norwegian, but uh, or, you know, he was probably originally Norwegian, regardless. But but whether or not he actually lived in Iceland, anyway, um, be that as it may, right? That's all we have. He does not, Brahe does not show up in uh, in place names, um, so he doesn't seem to be as a deity older than the Viking Age, and that also makes sense, right? Because um, you know, skaldic poetry as as a art form is invented in the Viking Age. So, and this is not uncommon, right? That um, you see humans, historical figures who have a role in, in in creating some kind of cultural product that's really important. They then later on get deified in um, in sort of like the mythological pipeline. So, so that, that that could be possible that that happened, and that you know his role is therefore extra important in Iceland compared to the mainland Scandinavia, because skaldic poetry is so important in Icelandic culture. So, yeah, there you go. There we go. Okay, I'm gonna skip Heimdall because I think we can. We'll probably do an episode. All we have done bits mm-hmm. in the past. Um, so Hod. Hodor. 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 Hold the door. Hold the door. There is a, what? There's a footnote on him. He's blind. <laughs> and it's also. I mean, that, that, that is literally what he says as well. He's a blind. Like, <laughs> fucking get cancelled for that these days, Snorri. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and then we have sort of like a, a bit of a premonition that relating to Ragnarok, and that's that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's just like this hint. Um, and then we go on with Vida, right? And Vida is the name of another one, and he is like, uh, <laughs> he must have very thick shoes. He's very strong, almost as strong as Thor. 
or next to Thor. He's he's the second strongest next to Thor, and um, and again, sort of like a brief reference to his role in Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. We don't have much in terms of like material cultural references to these deities. There might be a depiction of Vidar um, on the Gosforth cross in your neck of the woods um, because he's, you know, opening the mouth of the wolf uh, and I believe that there is like a reference to that on that cross and that's that's really that, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So where do because obviously like most people listening will say like Hoda and Vida they, they know, they will know their names from Ragnarok mm-hmm. but in Obviously, in the editor here, they get very little mention. You're talking two lines at yeah. most. Hoda, people know is the person who shoots Balder mm-hmm. or is tricked by Loki into shooting his brother and killing him. And then, obviously, Vida is the one who avenges Odin by put, using his giant fucking boot mm-hmm. to, to stand on on the bottom of Fenris, you know, Fenris' bottom jaw and tears his his, his jaw apart. Um, so they seem like major roles to me. Mm-hmm. But that's only because like the role of Ragnarok has been blown out of proportion, right? The, what, what do everybody know about uh, Aztec mythology? And something like, oh, they predicted the apocalypse in 2012 or something like that, right? That, that's what mm. people know about Aztec mythology and Mayan mythology. So it was all about... Untergang and doom and the world is going to end and illnesses and white warriors from the east and big canoes and stuff like that. Why do you think that is? It's because their fucking mythology was written down by people uh, who are either Spanish or uh, um, who were educated by the Spanish and Christianized by the Spanish, right? Like the, the reason that the entire uh, Mesoamerican mythology is encapsulated in, in a, an apocalypse narrative is of course because it was re- recorded by Christians and it's the same with this stuff right like <laughs> we have a bunch of Christians who are writing down mythology of, from, from like a religion that they don't want to have existed in the first place right mm-hmm so that's why this, the, the characters who are important in Ragnarok, of course, uh, are much better known than, you know, other characters. But let's go down the line and we see Utler, right? This mm-hmm. guy who's like, Snowy writes, oh, yeah, uh, Utler is the name of this one guy. He's a son of Sif and the stepson of Thor. Um, and he's like good at like, shooting arrows and riding on skis and he he can do uh proper wrestling and that's kind of it bye right mm-hmm. again like pretty much a one-liner god he's got a ton of place names all over norway and sweden like there, okay. there's so many place names dedicated to him in, in in norway and sweden um as i've mentioned before his his name is um derives from the same uh, root word as the word wealth which probably means that he was some kind of fertility deity and a very popular one right but Snorri has like a single line about him and that's really all we get in the entire mythology and he's probably only like 
you know, on skis with a bow and all that stuff because Snorri is like, oh, that's what they do over in Norway anyway. Um, like he, he was probably like a very, very important fertility deity back in the Viking age. But we know hardly anything about him because Snorri didn't care about him because he doesn't have a role in Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but, so what? Okay. So what about the person who has the least to say about uh, who, who the poor guy only gets one line, if that, and that says Ali or Valley, <laughs> uh, and he he says is the name of one the son of Odin and Rind. He is bold in battles and a very good shot. I mean, he made it into the Edo, which you can't complain at, <laughs> but also he gets uh, what, <coughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten words about him. That's it. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's got it. He's a good shot. <laughs> so one thing I want to point out that is happening here is uh, etymology. Um, keep in mind that the um, principle of etymology back when Snorri was writing this was that you can always either add a new uh, letter uh, to the beginning of the word or take one out, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what, what does he do? Snorri here. He's talking about a guy named Vali or a god named Vali. Um, and he says he's the son of Odin and Rind. And this is a reference to that son that uh, Odin engenders to um, avenge the death of Baldr, right? He's the one who's supposed to kill Herder, which is the whole brother-killing thing that is going to result in Ragnarok in the first place, right? Herder is the brother of Baldr. He kills Baldr. Then Bali... Um, who in other stories, like the Danish uh, his, the history of the Danes, is called Bui. Um, he, he's the one who then kills his brother uh, because he has to avenge, right? And then we have the cycle of re- uh, revenge that destroys society completely, right? But going back to this etymology kind of thing, I think it's really, really interesting that nobody can explain Ali in kind of like the history of scholarship on okay. Old Norse mythology. And I think Poor guy. Um, like he's made he's made it in. But like no, see the thing is he's the worst one. <laughs> they can explain Vali, but they can't explain Ali. And I think what we're dealing with here is actually a, a reference to Islam. Um, because Islam is in this time period in the uh, late uh, 1200s and early, uh, sorry, uh, late 1100s and early 1200s, a, the big boogeyman, right? Because what happened to the Crusader kingdom? It, they just got their asses kicked, right? We mm-hmm. see a lot of references, negative references to Islam in a lot of European literature at this time. Where are the gods from again? Hmm? So it tells us they come from Turkey. Mm-hmm. Where, where is Turkey in this time period? Well, it is a, firmly in, in like the Middle East where, where Islam is, uh, is, um, is, is ruling things at this time period too, right? Like this is where Islam has expanded uh, into these different corners of, uh, 
um, of the Middle East, we have uh, Turkish nomadic, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, armies, essentially, that are constantly harassing the Crusaders as they're trying to go, go back down and, and get the Holy Land back and all that stuff. And it is in that area where these uh, uh, Turkish um, uh, nomadic armies uh, uh, are, are most present that Snorri Sturluson locates the origin of the Nordic gods. So there is a crossover here. And this is actually very clear when you read the Norwegian King's sagas. The, the, in Inglinga saga, it's a very, very clear uh, comparison between Odin and uh, descriptions of Muhammad and also description, uh, descriptions of Salahdin, who uh, leads the, the armies against the Crusaders. So there's, a, there's like some crossover here. And I think actually his little reference to Ali here is a reference to, uh, to Islam. Um, that, I mean, that, that was actually my first thought when I mentioned it, but I thought it was going to be a stupid yeah. question, so I didn't ask no, it. No, not at all, because like, we, can't, <laughs> we can't otherwise explain the origin of that word. It doesn't mean anything in, in, mm -hmm. in Old Norse or, or any earlier version of Scandinavian language. Okay. So, I mean, let's do the last one that he, like, names, like, outright of, like, this is a god. Because um, obviously there, he mentions, like, people being sons of people and, and that kind of thing. But we can delve into them another time. I know you've got parking to get to. And we were, <laughs> we were late starting this without, with, you know, with our guests not, not turning up, unfortunately. So, um, and this is a god I've never heard of. So, for, Forsete? Mm -hmm. yeah um who the fuck's that <laughs> yeah <laughs> he is mentioned in Grimnismal um uh that uh that that he that Snorri also quotes here right um uh Snorri tells us about this um uh, hall named Glitnir um Glitnir Heitir Saler Hanagutli Stutter Oxilri Thatter at Itzalma, and far forsetti bigwe fleestendag og svaivia allar sakar, right? So, this golden hall where um, called Litnir, in which forsetti uh, lives um, most of, mostly, <laughs> um, and uh, settles all disputes, right? So the, the reference in the poem is kind of uh, obscure because we don't actually see Forsyti do much outside of that. Like mm -hmm. he's not really uh, mentioned anywhere else, or you know, has has he doesn't have any big role in in any other stories. Um, and Snorri here tells us that he is uh, the um, the son of Baldur and Nanna, um, and that is uh, possible. Who knows? This sort of like seems to fall into Snorri's idea about Baldur being the best of the gods. And then, you know, remember that Snorri also tells us that the decisions that Baldur makes or, or when he settles the disputes and that kind of stuff, people can't follow them. Like the, it's, mm -hmm. it's not possible for people to actually, because he's so damn good, you can't, okay. you, you, as a human being, you're too imperfect to be able to follow what Baldur uh, says or something like that. Um, so, so, so it's it seems 
logical that he would say, oh, okay, well, for city that I only know from this stanza over here, uh, let's put him in here as this uh, god who is in the, the son of Baldur and, 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 you know, the name itself for city means president, right? He's the presider of something. Okay. So the possibility is that this is a sort of a semi-religious title uh, associated with the rule of the um, of the General Assembly um, prior to Iceland. Um, you know, they had these types of assemblies across Northern Europe, um, in Scandinavia, and also elsewhere. Um, that this uh, this this is sort of like a deified version of that. Uh, religious, semi-religious role, political religious role. Um, yeah, that's that's a possibility. We have very, very little reference otherwise to Forsyth to really understand what kind of figure he was. Mm. I mean, I feel like they must be important enough of him to separate these out and give them their own kind of Little little paragraph where he's like at least kind of says there is a one there's a god called this there's a god called that rather than kind of referencing them as as somebody's son or as somebody's daughter, um, they at least get like a even if they only get ten words like they get ten words. Yeah, but okay, so there's something that you should always always be suspicious about, and that's compound names, right? For safety is a compound. Um, where, who, where's the other one? Heimdall is another compound. You should always be suspicious about those because they could either be invented in the moment, so to speak, or um, they are a reference to another god. And this is, for instance, what we know about Heimdall. Right? There's a there's a lot of scholarship that presumes that Heimdall is actually some other god than than what his name otherwise says, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because Heimdall seems to just mean uh, the one who lives in the world or presides over the world or dwells in the world or something like that. Like that could be a lot of different gods or it, it may be a specific one, who knows? And the same with Forsyth, right? The one who presides or the one who, who sits ahead, right? Could that be an Odin reference? It's not impossible, right? Or could it be a tear reference? It's not impossible. Some scholars have also suggested that Heimdallr is actually a reference to tear. Um, so, so that there's like a lot of, lot of ways that you can interpret those compound names as like essentially a way to refer to a deity without talking about them or using their name, which also makes a lot of sense in a religious context because quite often, which we know with, for instance, the the biblical name Yahweh, right? That there's like a lot of taboo associated with God names sometimes. And you just don't use the actual name. You use circumlocutions to talk about them instead, right? Um, so, so that's also a possibility that uh, that we could be dealing with that. In, Why did they make it so complicated? Why can't they just use one name? Yeah. Why can't they just use one fucking name? Make it easy for everyone. Yeah, well, no, it's not fun if it's if it's easy, man. You know, well, that. No. I, I'd be that's... out of a job if I if I couldn't say it's complicated all the time. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> all right, let's should we wrap this up? Um, 
yeah okay so we yeah we kind of flew by the seat of our pants for this one i was a british, <laughs> british reference i don't know if if how many people use that one but i have never uh, heard it before but it's like giving me mental images that's a <laughs> that's a saying over here just means like we winged it you know we we had to kind of go off the cuff um yeah we were kind of waiting for the guests didn't turn up we've just so yeah but it's been fun i feel like we've put a lot of information out there um a lot for people to learn re-listen to kind of um yeah so also the best why not shout out the best version of snorri's edda so people can pick that up and then at least get the accurate reading yes always always get edda snorri's daughter son by Anthony Fox, it's the best damn version that's out there. He's sort of like just uh it's it's the it's the one one version to rule them all. Um, there's <laughs> it you really can't get much better than that. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to read. Um it just means that it is it is the text that comes closest to the way that it was actually written in the old Norse. So, but yeah. you should you should read it because you should read it. It clears up. I mean, I remember when I when I first read it when you told me to. I had so many questions that I sent you. I was like, "Well, this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense." Um, <laughs> but you could tell that like I was reading it for the first time, and there's so much that I thought I knew all that. Even like from doing the podcast, speaking to you, being like, "Oh yeah, it was Snorri's." talking shit about this and that and the stuff that i picked up from you but then when i read it myself i was like this is very christian <laughs> this, is, this is definitely got an agenda <laughs> like it's got an agenda like when people are like no it doesn't i'm like yeah it does <laughs> it really does i'm sorry but it does it's so wild like i i like it is only if you have not read the original text that you could ever claim that Snorri was like secretly a heathen or something like no, that. No, he's, he's balls deep in Christianity. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> right, Mateus, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I still have my Instagram profile. I, 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 I shit post there once in a while. So, yeah. You do. You, you do. Go see um, yeah, next, obviously next week we have Alexander German joining us, which is a huge episode for us so make sure you you check that out he doesn't do quote-unquote interviews or talks outside of press very often if at all um so we're very lucky to have kind of have him join us um yeah that's gonna yeah, be I'm so much looking forward to that that's gonna be so awesome to talk to him mm-hmm. yeah he's a really he's a really nice guy we'll have a a fun chat I know we're going to talk about the last kingdom, but we're also going to look at what I think is really exciting is the, the cultural effects on England from mm-hmm. the Viking invasion, which is an exciting topic. I know he has a few questions for you. I've been talking oh. to him. He's, he's, he's got a few things he wants to know. Um, That's cool. And we're also going to talk about the Viking ship museum. We can briefly mention it now if you want, but we're going to talk about it on there as well. Cause hopefully that might have, a bit more of an impact. Um, oh, they've run into some budgetary issues with the Norwegian government, as far as I can understand. Uh, so so it, originally they had set a budget and then they had gone to the government and said, look, guys, uh, the, the, this budget isn't going to work out. And then uh, now the government is like, well, it's going to have to. 
So they have some, some, some issues there and there are petitions circulating on the internet right now um, that you can go sign. I don't know how, uh, if petitions even work these days. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I think you can donate on there. Um, yeah. For whatever, I mean, for whatever reason that they've run into financial costs, that I don't really give a shit about that. The, the thing is, keep in mind that we're talking about uh, 1,200 year old uh, ships, right? That are made of wood and they need controlled environments. Uh, they need, um, you know, they, they need to be able to, to like plan out the humidity and, and all these things for, for, for a room for such things. So, so of course that's not always going to be easy to just uh plan out ahead like you're going to run into issues with like building uh appropriate spaces for these um these things and and, and it's one that. thing it's one thing putting them in like a a little room just big enough for them to fit in the right conditions so they survive forever but it's another thing putting them where people can actually go and enjoy them but also making sure that you preserve yeah um preserve yeah, the there's a lot of there's a lot of logistics and planning and and technical engineering that goes into all of this um and it, like here's a great example of a similar situation that uh, they had in denmark with the roskilde uh, ship museum there this was built back in the 70s or 60s or something like that by some fancy architect and so on and that's all nice and and and, and great but then you know it's built right next to the ocean and it's a very low-lying building. And then there was a, a, a storm at one point and it started flooding the actual mm -hmm. display room, right? Um, so like there are just like things you you just never can't really know exactly how how to manage and handle. And mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but then now we're gonna have to like go in another direction and so on. So mm -hmm. yeah, I hope. I hope that they solve this issue because those... the ultimate thing is that these things are onshore, are visible mm -hmm. for people to visit. Because um, you know, when I when I saw them, it, it for me anyway, it was like enough to bring me like to tears because it's just like it's it's such a magical thing to see these things of how the fuck were these built um, a thousand years ago and how have they survived this long and the history and it's behind someone, them. You, you and it's some of the best preserved viking ships that exist like it's really important that we save them <laughs> like yeah and it's i mean it's not like i don't think it's a question of that we're going to save them and i think they're always hopefully going to be saved i don't think it's more that they're going to be on show for people to enjoy which which is so important because it sparks so many people's interest into this um and yeah they, they should be visible and seen because they are utterly beautiful they're they're insane i don't think you you just look at the pictures all you want i mean i looked at so many pictures before i went but until i actually went and looked at them and it's not just the ships either it's the the chariots that are there it's you know the mm -hmm. the carts the, the 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 animal heads out there made out of wood all these things that are there are breathtaking and they need to be kind of enjoyed by people they don't they shouldn't be put away and that seems like that's what they want to do they want to put them on display but also preserve them and i think that you know something we we should try support as a podcast um mm -hmm. and the whole community should try to get behind and support it and hopefully figure out how the fuck we we get this done because 
they're such a big part of, of what we all love and the community. So if you can go sign the position, I mean, you have to just go. I think there's a link in our Discord. There, it's the floating everywhere at the minute. There's a link in the our Discord. There's a link on the museum's Instagram, which they made incredibly difficult for people who aren't Norwegian to. <laughs> to remember i think it's viking tid musee i think mm, i can't right? remember i think it's that so, yeah so viking tid musee so viking t-i-d-m-u-s-e-e-t i wish they'd made it easier because when i was trying to search for it earlier it was super difficult um but yeah so you can go on there you can find the petition sign the petition but also if you can donate a little bit of money it's going to help them out and be able to hopefully do what they they plan. I've seen some of the plans that they they have, and it looks incredible. And it will be a, only a good thing for for the community and the preservation of of what we all love. So yeah, yes. you can go do that. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five star rating, positive review. Follow me personally, Daniel and Scott and One at Horns Voting Podcast, Nordic Mythology Podcast on Instagram, Facebook everywhere else we've got some big things in the work social media wise we've just hired um somebody to run our social media for us which is super exciting so we're going to be getting a lot more clips out there and hopefully growing things um yeah and that's all because of everybody who supports on patreon so a huge shout out to everybody who, who does support us on patreon it's literally the price of buying one of us a cup of coffee a week but it helps us grow the show helps us employ Ron, who's now going to be looking at the social media, helps us employ Shan and just keeps everything going. And we are now hopefully getting back to what we need. Exactly. There we go. Ciao. <laughs> Take care, man. Ciao.